John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Strong or Die podcast. Today, my guest is Carter Berry. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, glad to have you on here. Um, man, I don't remember uh, how long ago we met. It's been, what, at least two years or so since, since I'm, I ran into yeah. it. And uh, I wanted to get you on the, on the podcast. Um, you know, finally, mm-hmm. finally made that happen here. Um, so this is your <laughs> first time on. I uh, would love to get everybody to um, know you. Can you tell us a little bit, um, just a little bit briefly about what you're doing now and then um, how you got mm-hmm. there and how you got there and how you got into fitness and kettlebells and all the crazy stuff? Cool. Well, I am primarily a kettlebell sports athlete and coach. And a lot of people don't know what kettlebell sport is. Basically, you know, we'll go, I'm sure we'll go into more detail later, but it's basically a uh, an endurance weightlifting sport um where you lift for 10 minutes at a time uh, a certain criteria of movement to establish whether or not the reps count or not and then whoever gets the most repetitions within the allotted time is the winner and basically i've been doing that for the past five years with uh, a pretty intense focus and i got into the fitness industry eight years ago when I was 20. Basically, when I was 19, I I started a lifestyle transition. I was not really doing much with my life. I had dropped out of college. I was smoking a lot of cigarettes. I was hanging out with the wrong crowd and doing the wrong activities. And then I had, you know, some exposure to mixed martial arts. So I had a close friend of mine brought me to a Jeet Kune Do class in New York City at JKD NYC, where, uh, where John and I met. And basically, from there, the competitive atmosphere inspired me to improve my physical fitness as much as I could because I didn't want to get punched in the face anymore. I wanted to dominate other fighters in the class and maybe ultimately compete. And that led me down the path towards learning more about the body and becoming a personal trainer. And when I was 20, I quit cigarettes. I got certified as a personal trainer after taking a course. And then I began working at uh, this company called Equinox, which a lot of people have probably heard of. It's, it's a big chain in major cities in the U.S. and also expanded to London. And basically worked there as a personal trainer for three and a half years, became, you know, pretty well known around the club as someone knowledgeable about kettlebell lifting and about movement in general, because I was a, you know, I was never into school school, but when I became a personal trainer, I was a heavy bookworm with anatomy, kinesiology, different movement modalities different methods of program design. Like I wanted to eat it all up and be just the dopest trainer in that gym. And so I became a leader amongst a lot of the newer trainers and started mentoring them, which led me into a leadership role within the company, holding educational workshops, you know, speaking publicly, giving presentations and, you know, ultimately hiring and and training kind of hand rearing these fresh trainers off the street and and watching them become professionals. And today, although I'm no longer in leadership, I do coach uh, personal training clients here in New York. And I also do program design remotely for general fitness, as well as for kettlebell sport in the U S and internationally. Very cool. That's a, that's a a very cool story. A lot, a lot of stuff going on there. Um, Mm -hmm. So, uh, let's talk about, uh, JKD. So that's where we, um, that's where I met you. Actually, I met you at that school in New York, um, for a, uh, I believe that was like a military edged weapons, um, seminar. Um, yeah, it was a weekend. Uh, what was that guy's name who came? Uh, that was the only time I met him. The guy from California. Oh man, um, you asked me way too fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, for, I, I forget his name. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it was a, it was a cool workshop, a, a lot of uh, good practice there. And, you know, 
it was cool to get a lot of new people in the school that I hadn't met before. And, you know, you gave a great presentation on some of the strongmen and, uh, you know, feats of strength that you do. And I think it's really, it's good for people who are already into martial arts to also have an understanding of strength training. Yeah. So that's what kind of what I wanted to, um, bring up. It seems like in martial arts, there is this, um, this culture to it that like, Hey, we're in martial arts. We don't lift weights. And then they, mm-hmm. they, they rationalize all these reasons why. And, um, um, I always find it fascinating when I can find a martial artist mm-hmm. that, that, that not only, um, does do some strength training, but does it seriously. Um, and, uh, mm-hmm. so I wanted to get your thoughts. How do you think that, um, getting into the, to the, the personal training and strength training and stuff helped with your martial arts, if, if it did. And, um, and especially the kettlebells specifically, can you talk about that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with how it helps with martial arts specifically. Yeah. yeah and I uh, think that, mm-hmm. yeah. And just your development with, uh, Jeet Kune Do and all that. Mm-hmm. I think that weight training or fit, you know, resistance training in general, whether it's with weights or with calisthenics, is highly beneficial to anyone who does any sort of physical activity or sport. Martial arts, you know, within the communities surrounding martial arts, especially traditional Eastern martial arts, they tend to have a very traditional and specific form of strength training that they do. They do a lot of, uh, you know, body weight, isometric exercises, holding positions. And these are traditions that have been passed down for hundreds of years within these circles. So it's understandable that at first glance, when you're talking to, uh, you know, someone who's been doing these arts and they have like the, and they have their lineage where they can, they can talk about who their Sifu was and who their Sifu's Sifu was. And within that mindset of we do this system, we have this lineage, we do these forms, sometimes it is difficult to, you know, open somebody up to other possibilities of GPP and SPP, you know, general physical preparation and specific physical preparation that they can add to their training programs. Uh, You know, so that can sometimes be an obstacle. But what I find is when somebody is really passionate about martial arts and they really want to get better, they begin looking for different avenues to get an edge on the people that they're competing against and their peers so that they can, you know, even if you are a team in the class, you're still sparring against them and you still kind of want to win at the end of the day. And I find that having an understanding of anatomy and kinesiology through weight training, it builds a level of awareness relative to which muscles are working and responsible for which movements. And then with that knowledge, you can have a better understanding of why certain positions work better for certain martial arts movements, why certain martial arts have become more popular than others in the mainstream, and which exercises are the most beneficial to use in martial arts training. So I think it's highly beneficial. It just takes a little bit of research and some trial and error and the willingness to have that open mind and explore those different possibilities. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree a hundred percent. Um, and, uh, I, I think it's happening more frequently. I think people are kind of, uh, martial artists are kind of coming around, but I, I would still think that they're far, mm-hmm. far behind a lot of the other sports, um, as far as, um, adopting, um, weights as a way to get better. Um, but, but hopefully that yeah. changes over the next, um, decade or so. And hopefully we see that transition, uh, fully, you know, mm-hmm. at, at the end. So, yeah. Um, you know, when you look at high-level MMA athletes, you know, they have they have a team of coaches that, that, you know, foster their development, and all of them do some form of resistance training. They all do some form of calisthenics, and they all do some form of weight training. If you look at, you know, George St. Pierre or other, you know, high-profile MMA athletes, you can, you can see what their weight training regimens look like, uh, you know, on on youtube and stuff brendan shaw is a well-known mma athlete and he can deadlift over 500 pounds he's like a monster you know and that doesn't slow him down that doesn't you know make his muscles tight or whatever these kind of myths are 
it's uh, it, it complements the training. You know, you'll slow down if you stop doing speed work, basically. Right. You know. Yeah, I always thought that that was um, an odd thing to uh, to say. Uh, you know, martial artists always say like lifting weights will make you slow or whatever. And I think um, yeah. it's funny because when somebody does an activity like martial arts, right, they'll they'll be very opinionated mm-hmm. about where you learn it from. You know, you'll go somewhere. Yeah. They'll say, "Don't learn it from here." Or, you can't possibly watch YouTube and learn it. You have to go to a school, and you got to find yeah. a black belt, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. But then. Uh-huh. But then they'll form their opinion on weight training off of like some guy that they happen to know that can bench press two twenty five. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, "Well, well, Steve here, he's really slow and he lifts weights." Yeah, but but that doesn't mean exactly. But that doesn't mean that Steve knows anything. Uh, you know, he just lifts weights on his own, and he it, yeah. It, and but they they form their opinions off of that. I think I think that's um a very odd very odd and, mm-hmm. and very unique to that uh to the martial arts culture that that occurs um, yeah well i i think a lot of the reason where that's uh mentality comes from too is that you know sometimes when okay so for example that weekend where where we met i remember there was a friend of yours there uh another guy and i was coaching him through some of the martial arts movements and for him, the movements were really awkward and, and difficult because he hadn't trained for that before, right. you know? And it wasn't, and, and he was a big, strong dude. And I could tell through his movement patterns that he was kind of reverting to a lot of those postural habits that you're taught when you, when you lift barbells, mm-hmm. you know? I remember we were doing an uppercut and he had his chest up. I was like, bro, don't do it like a front squat, like (laughs) drop your posture a little bit. And so, you know, that's an example, I think, when when somebody comes into the gym and they have an established background, you know, their their nervous system is conditioned to certain activities. You know, if you're a barbell lifter, your nervous system might be, and you're working within rep ranges under 10 and close to maximal loads, your nervous system is probably more accustomed to the creatine phosphate system, the anaerobic glycolytic system, and to high tension activities. To someone like that who's been doing 10 or 12 years of powerlifting or strongman, well, strongman's a little different, but of powerlifting or other high tension activities, it'll be, it'll take a, a, a long time to kind of recondition their understanding of muscular tension mm-hmm. because they've been nailing their nervous system with these movement patterns for so long so i think it's this it's the said principle that you know people are experiencing when someone says that lifting weights will make you too slow for martial arts your specific adaptations to impose demands were in a different direction and someone who's been doing martial arts their whole life and only that one kind of martial art without weight training they're going to have a similar experience when they step into the weight you know if, if, they, if they're a boxer and they're spending 70% of their day with their left foot in front of their right, they're going to have a unilateral shift if you put them under a barbell, you know? It goes both ways where, you know, you can't be an expert at both. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree 100%. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think that that's, uh, that's also why uh, Brandon Schaub's a, 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 a good example here, too. You know, you get somebody that plays football, um at a high level NFL and um, you know, they're a pro and they've done that and they've done that probably since high school or earlier college. Yeah. Now they're a pro. And I would argue that NFL players, um, and I don't even like football. I don't watch it or anything, but I would argue that NFL players are the best athletes in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, um, and, but then they will go to the UFC and um, Brandon Mm Schaub is actually uh, kind of an outlier to this. He's like the exception. But they, they typically don't do great. Um, and, yeah. you know, these are the best athletes in the world, and they go to the UFC, and they don't do great. I mean, they do better than yeah. anybody else would have because they can hang in the UFC, right? But in the UFC, they don't do yeah. that great. And, um, you know, it's because of the way they've trained for so long, right? They have so, certain movement patterns, yeah. certain um, energy systems are ramped up, a certain things are built in or whatever. Um, and I think that's that's definitely true. Um yeah. Uh, but I, I would, 
what I would uh, what I would look for that I find confusing um, in the martial arts culture, and, and maybe they just you know there's probably a reason they don't think this way, but I would look for somebody that d- does martial arts and then started lifting, and yeah. then make my uh, <laughs> my my judgments based off of that and say, okay, well, did that person get yeah. slower? Um, are yeah. they getting better? But that doesn't seem to be. Uh, and maybe that's just not available, right? Maybe these these schools mm-hmm. that, that that's not available. I could definitely see that being the case, but um, yeah, uh, yeah. I just you know, it's it's all a correlation, um, kind of uh, an observation, and um, I think it's a shame, mm-hmm. but it is changing drastically over the years. Yeah. So so that's good. I, I, I think mainstream MMA training has uh, has helped in this regard a lot. You know, people can people can see exactly how somebody's training in their off season and understand that, okay, building a, a base level of strength does help you develop all these other physical characteristics. You know, mm-hmm. there's a, uh, in 2013, when I was after my first or second year of, uh, of personal training, I got certified by this company called strong first, which, uh, you know, is under Pablo Satsuline, who is a big kettlebell personality in the United States. And the, the, the strong first kind of motto or their, I, I forget what they call it. It's like their catchphrase or whatever. They, they have a, they have like a cool word for it. It's, uh, it, it's something along the lines of, you know, strength is the precursor to all other physical mm-hmm. capabilities. So something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But, I, you know, I'm a believer in that because, you know, you mentioned if you take someone who started with martial arts and then started lifting and then you see that kind of before and after. I'm not a professional athlete or anything, but anecdotally, I would fall into that uh, category. So if I were to use myself as a case study, I feel like lifting weights and becoming stronger has really helped me with my martial arts because... I can I can take a break for a year from Jeet Kune Do, and my nervous system will still remember the movements, but I'm stronger now. I have better balance. I have better control over my core and better cardio endurance because I run throughout the week. And when I, when I went to Argentina for an extended period of time, after taking a break from Jeet Kune Do, I, I straight up joined a, uh, I, I joined a small MMA gym. And I could hang like I was I was doing just fine because I was fit enough to be able to stay calm and to be able to perform. I definitely think, you know, from my own experience, it's uh, it's the right path to to find a balance between the two and, you know, identify your goals that way. Yeah, I think um, I think another thing, too, that is important to note um you know, and, and like for myself or something, it, it is a little different because where your priorities lie. But if your priority is in martial arts, um, mm-hmm. I think there's also some assumptions when you approach them and you say, hey, maybe you should um, do some strength training. I think they automatically think, okay, well, now I have to go full tilt into this and become mm-hmm. the next world's strongest man in addition. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It, in, in reality, I'm just saying, like, maybe you should lift for an hour or twice a week and, like, yeah. Get kind of yeah. strong. <laughs> yeah. You know? Or, you know, yeah, they don't have to like clean and jerk double body weight, but right. they should be, if, if their goal is to stay fast, they should be doing some barbell work that they're able to do at a high velocity. If their goal is to, you know, maintain cardio endurance and stay calm during jujitsu, you know, you could apply other training methodologies to that. It's, uh, you know, again, with the said principle, everyone's going to have individual goals and areas within their training that they need to improve on when they're in the octagon or in the ring. And it's up to that coach to, to pick the right movements to, uh, to help that athlete move in the right direction and, and not like lose any matches, you know, (laughs) for sure. You're listening to get strong or die. We'll be back right after this. This episode is brought to you by Mauser Strength Dynamics one-on-one online coaching. So if you are looking for a satisfaction guarantee and you want to win competitions, or maybe you're constantly suffering from injuries and you don't know where to turn, or maybe you're just looking for some one-on-one support, 
from a world-class strength coach, then Mauser Strength Dynamics is the coaching for you. So if you want more information, then find John at John the Viking Mauser on Facebook or at Mauser Strength on Instagram. So let's change gears to talk about kettlebell sports. So um, you kind of you kind of defined what that was. Um, uh, kind of, can you go into uh, details of the, of the specific events that uh, that take place at the mm-hmm. competitions? Of course. So kettlebell sport basically it uh, it began as a mandatory Soviet military exercise. And it wasn't even really a sport sport at, at first. Like it, it, well, to back up even further, kettlebells originated as counterweights at old timey 17th, 18th century marketplaces in Eastern Europe, you know, like uh, Ukraine, Belarus and stuff. And then from there, people began doing like strong men of, of, of Eastern Europe, not like the handlebar mustache guys from Western Europe, like uh, the Eastern Europe strongmen started, uh, you know, flipping them around and doing these cool movements, you know, anyhows, bent presses with massive kettlebells because the kettlebells were laying around and it ended up becoming a strength tool for poor people who just had them laying around and didn't have access to to gyms or they they weren't part of a gymnastic school or anything like that people would just have one in their house and they would perform exercises with it Mm -hmm. and from there over the course of time it became this mandatory exercise for uh soviet military operatives and the reason being is because doing kettlebell sport is very uh it's very mentally taxing because of the nature of it and it builds a lot of different physical qualities in a short period of time. It, um, the, the nature of the movements are a very wide range of motion for many of the joints. You know, you need to be able to perform full, hundred like, boom, 180 degree hip extension, like without a doubt, or else, you know, you'll feel your, your back will be uncomfortable. You have to be able to flex your hip all the way. You have to be able to flex your shoulder all the way overhead without any weird compensations or elbow bending or rotation. And uh, you have to be able to, because it's round, when it is overhead, your rotator cuff and your upper back have to be strong enough to keep that thing still and stop it from moving. So you're building all these different qualities, and it takes up no space. And so that's why it was so easy for it to be adopted by Soviet military. And so... If, uh, if, you, if you grow up in, uh, in the Russian military nowadays, like, you have to do kettlebells. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, whether you like it or not, because it's going to build your cardio, it's going to build your flexibility, your stability, your strength to a degree. It's, they're not ideal for maximal strength. But from that practice of Soviet military, it ended up becoming uh, an actual sport where non-military people also got involved and uh, began using it as a fitness tool and, uh, and performing it as a sport. The, the most mainstream form of kettlebell sport is the 10-minute format. And there's three uh, primary movements that are, that are performed. So we have clean and jerk, performed repetitiously, and that's called a long cycle. And then we have jerk, which is just from chest rack position to overhead, also called short cycle, but... We just call it jerk. And then there's snatch, which is from down in the hips with one arm and then overhead. And then halfway through the set, you switch arms. With uh, the long cycle, clean and jerk, as well as the jerk, they're performed with two kettlebells. Whereas the snatch movement is performed with one, and you switch hands once during the set. And it's up to the athlete to stay calm and use proper judgment for when they choose to switch their hands. And professional-level men will use a pair of 32-kilogram kettlebells, so 70 pounds per hand, and professional women will use a pair of 24-kilogram kettlebells, so 53 pounds per hand. And up until very recently, it was, it was so that uh, women were only allowed to perform the snatch event. 
they they were not allowed to do double bell exercises um you know science evolves and people learn things about the the women's bodies and it turns out it's not unsafe the way that people thought it was back in the day and now even on the world stage in mainstream competitions you have women pumping out these huge numbers with 24 kilogram kettlebells that a lot of men couldn't dream of it's uh it, it's a great thing to see so that's basically the 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 history and the competition format very cool um so uh there's there's actually a professional um level in this so you can go from amateur to pro is that right well we call it people will call it professional i i don't like to use that term because even i lift 32 kilogram kettlebells and i do i i do a pretty damn good job of it i do pretty good numbers but uh i don't call myself a professional because i don't get paid for it as my job right but in in russia they have that so in in russia because it's that's where the the mainstream sport originated you know you have athletes or sport federations of gear voice sport of kettlebell sport that are funded by the government and so these athletes are able to receive payment for competing mm. they receive stipends so that they can train without worrying about having to go to the office or do this and that uh but unfortunately here in the west uh there's not a lot of money in kettlebell sport and so we have to kind of fit it around our jobs as a as a hobby yeah. and so it creates a unique challenge but uh you know being able to put up good numbers despite that is uh, it's just part of the it's part of the challenge it's a uh, you know i kind of i kind of like that additional little challenge Now you mentioned that you put up pretty good numbers. You you've uh you held and possibly still hold um records, right? Yeah. Um outside of okay, in the western hemisphere, I have the highest biathlon total. Uh biathlon, so remember I I mentioned there's long cycle clean and jerk, there's jerk and there's snatch. So even though there's those three movements, there's only two actual events. So there's long cycle of clean and jerk and then there's biathlon which is jerk and snatch and the two events create a cumulative score. Oh okay. And so I uh for a few years now I've had the North American record for a biathlon total. And in my in the weight class that I competed in when I did this number I did make a record for my weight class in long cycle with 32s but I I'm I'm still hungry I don't I the long cycle one I'm not worried about you know having the title or whatever um but I'm pretty proud of my biathlon uh results my you know the my, the scoring is done with long cycle it's like one point per repetition per clean and jerk And with biathlon the scoring is 1 point per jerk and half a point per snatch. So you know, I might beat somebody on jerks, but then an hour later in the competition we have to come back and snatch and that other guy has a chance to surpass me on snatch. Mm-hmm. So you got to stay sharp, you got to recover in between those two sets and and mentally be a um, emotionally prepared to stand on that platform and and max out again. for 10 minutes with a different movement. Man, that's rough. So so the yeah. uh the long cycle, um the long cycle clean and jerk, that's 10 minutes in itself. Yeah, it's just 10 minutes and it's just that one set and then you're done for the day. By Athlon it's two separate 10 minute sets, two different movements. Okay. Cool. Very cool. Now, will you be um will you be at the Arnold again this year? I will. That's the qualifier. or worlds in my federation. So, very cool. I will be competing at the Arnold. Well, we we will definitely um see you out there. We got a whole crew coming, so we'll be there. <clears throat> oh, great. Yeah, we'll we'll cross paths again. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool running into you at the Arnold last year. I I I had a feeling you would be there. I just didn't know where to look for you and then I ended up running into you. That was cool. Uh, yeah. It's uh the, the there's so many people there, but it's pretty um it's like a small little world there. You run into everybody. Um Yeah. 
exactly it's like uh the fitness subculture you know culminates there for for that weekend it's uh, I, I i ran into so many people i know former employees it was it was a dope weekend so um when you talk about uh strong first and pavel and uh and kettlebell sport there are all these different uh factions right um and, and yeah and i'm sure there's like even more now i don't follow it as much um you know as other things uh-huh. but i'm sure there's a bunch now but I know for a while there was um, Heart Style and then um, Kettlebell Sport and, and maybe one other one. Um, can you kind of differentiate and, and let us know, like, what, what's the differences there? And, and then what do you do with those differences? Um, do, you, do you train Heart Style and this and that? Mm, that's a great question. And there's a lot to unpack with that. And there's a lot of different opinions that people have okay. within these different communities. So Hard Style. So the two main... The, the, the big separation between training modalities and training with the, the tool, the kettlebell, are between hard style and Gitavoy or kettlebell sport. So the main difference, if I can separate between the two, is that hard style is high tension. And the goal of hard style is to build you know, functional strength and power to then employ with other activities. So to kind of give a blanket statement, from my point of view, hard style is for gen pop, right? For general population clients. Whereas kettlebell sport, so and hard style is also uh, much more anaerobic as well uh lower rep ranges much higher tension a really sharp hard exhale and a big abdominal contraction uh when performing all of these movements and gitavoy is is really the opposite you know gitavoy is open mouth very breathy very aerobic uh the the breathing with the positions uh within the movements are completely uh, is opposite from hard style to gear voice sport. So for example, if we're just talking about a basic exercise, the swing, a hard style swing, the athlete or the practitioner will inhale when they flex the hip and into that hip hinge. And then the, uh, in, in Gitavoy sport, it'll be the opposite. The athlete will exhale when performing their hip hinge and inhale when their hip is extending. So what this results in is that Gitavoy doesn't necessarily produce that same sort of creatine phosphate, you know, power response within the muscle fibers. It's, it's more of an aerobic type one muscle fiber kind of activity whereas hard style is much more of an anaerobic uh, uh, type 2 muscle fiber activity. And there's overlap between the two with certain GPP movements that we'll do in, uh, in, 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 in both systems. But those, that's the main difference in training modality, is the intention behind the training. With kettlebell uh, hard style, I want to get better at just being a functional, you know, strong person. I want to be able to pick up that air off the floor and, and, and move. Or maybe, you know, maybe I'm a power lifter and I'm taking a break from barbells for a little while and I just need something to keep me moving without losing my strength. You know, hard style all the way, right? Whereas in Gita Voice Sport... My goal is to do more repetitions. My goal, I'm looking at that counter, and I want to see three digits on that, on that thing over there, you know? And if I'm breathing like a hard style person, if I'm squeezing my muscles, that lactic acid is going to build up after, like, one minute, and I'm going to be toast. My, my heart rate's going to be too high. So I need to employ the anatomical breathing. I need to reduce muscular tension the best I can and stack the weight on my skeleton the best I can. So those are the big differences. Uh, you know, there's hard style people who think get a voice sport is stupid. Um, 
but there's a lot of Gitavoy sport people who think hard style is stupid. I, in my opinion, the hard style community is much more open-minded to Gitavoy sport than the Gitavoy. Man, I, my friends be clowning these hard style people on social media, and I feel bad. I don't, I, you know, they, you know, they act like Gitavoy sport is the only way, and it's really not. There's a balance. There's a middle path within all, you know, training modalities. There's Every now and then I do hard style and my background is in hard style. I got certified by strong first in 2013 when I was a, still a, a, a little tadpole in the gym and still learning, figuring out my way around as a trainer. And then I graduated to studying gear to voice core, but the hard style method is very effective for developing an understanding of your own body to be able to control your body through movement and get to know yourself and manipulate muscular tension because you're squeezing as hard as you can and you're feeling that. So that when I transitioned to Gita Voice Sport, I could feel, I could shut my muscle off and I could, I could completely settle in and, and create that. And I think that if I didn't have a hard style base, I wouldn't be as successful as I am with Gita Voice Sport today. You're listening to Get Strong or Die. We'll be back right after this. Introducing Get Strong AF one-on-one online coaching with Hannah the Destroyer. This coaching program is for the focused and dedicated woman who wants to get stronger and compete. You'll never be left in the dark from bi-weekly training calls to support via text and email. She has your back every step of the way. There's made-for-you training sessions, every exercise, every lift, every piece of equipment used has you and your goals in mind. And also, there's strong mindset training because we understand that strength and mindset go hand-in-hand. There will be weekly prompts videos to up-level your mindset so when it comes to step on the competition floor, you are 100% ready. If you are interested in this, go ahead and email hannah at powerthroughmovement.net or look for more info at powerthroughmovement.net. Who uh, is there like a certifying body for um, the kettlebell sport? Uh, you, you said strong first was kind of hard style. Okay. I, I think there's at least um, one other uh, company that kind of does the hard style stuff. So what kind, yeah, of, what there, kind of federation? There are, are several. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are several with both. Um, the thing about certifications are, I think we were talking about this during that weekend at JKDNYC. The thing about certifications are, um, you know, the accreditation is the only thing that matters. And within the fitness industry, there isn't, ne- unless it's a personal training certification, there isn't necessarily a governing body that accredits certifications and deems them and gives them the stamp of approval. Unless it's just a general personal training certification where the, the NSCA has to accredit you. But with uh, these specific things, you know, a pre-postnatal certification, a kettlebell certification, a yoga certification, Viper, Animal Flow, you know, all these knickknacks and stuff that, that people are using. Anyone can make and can create a, an, a company, an acronym to, to, to flex their certification, and people do it all the time. So there's a ton. So within hard style, just off the top of my head, Pablo Setsuline came to the United States uh, around the turn of the century, around the year 2000, and founded the RKC. The RKC was the premier hardstyle certifying body. And if you go to dragondoor.com, that's the RKC world. Dragondoor has a ton of like amazing fitness equipment and stuff outside of kettlebells. Uh, the RKC is like part of that. Pablo ended up leaving the RKC for whatever reasons, you know, and then founded Strong First, which is another hard style certification. Off the top of my head, I've taken certifications with a couple other companies like Kettlebell Athletics. There is a company called Kettlebell Concepts. And, you know, it's, uh, I've, I've held certification workshops for, uh, for, for people. You know, it's, it's one of these things where anyone, anyone who is knowledgeable or thinks that they're knowledgeable can hold a certification workshop, tell somebody to come and drop a few hundred dollars for the weekend and, and hold it within, within the Gita voice sport worlds, you know, every, every country has at least uh, one or two federations of Gita voice sport. 
and those federations will usually have their own sort of certification. The certification that I taught was down in Chile, in Santiago, where um, La Federación Chilena de Catalul, um, they, they hired me to give a, a certification workshop for that weekend. And so that's one of those examples where the sport federation of whichever country will usually be the one to hold that certification. But, you know, anyone can think of a cool acronym and make their own, you know, because there's no, uh, it's not a license, it's right. a cert. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've always found that um, yeah. cool, weird and cool and bad and all of it at once, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, it has the potential to go in any, any chaotic direction, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, specifics with, um, kettlebells, uh, you know, you can, mm-hmm. you can buy, um, everybody sells them now. Rogue has mm-hmm. them, uh, Titan fitness. Um, you know, the kettlebell sport people sell these mm-hmm. kettlebells and, um, yeah, some of the stuff I see online and I've kind of noticed, but I'm not, um, I'm not into it enough to know all the ins and outs, mm-hmm. but I know the handle sizes are different. And I noticed that, Yes. Um, the kettlebell sport has more of like a, almost like a squarish handle and like rogue sells these like bell shaped handles and, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah. and rogues handles are, are in my opinion, annoying because <laughs> as they go up in weight, the handle mm-hmm. size, they get, they get thicker. Yeah. It constantly yeah. changes. Um, and that, yeah. to me, that kind of, um, makes your movements change. I, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I find it annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I find it annoying it does, either yeah. way. Uh, can you kind of talk yeah. about that and, um, and tell us what's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. So same, same sort of division between hard style and Gita Voice Sport here. So I'll begin with, I'll begin with Gita Voice Sport this time. In, in Gita Voice, there are different companies that make uh, kettlebells, but within one company... Uh, or within one mold of, of kettlebell, all the kettlebells will be the same in that line. No matter what weight they are, they'll all be the same mold, right? And then they'll fill them with sand or, or they'll put a ball bearing, or they'll single cast them just with more metal on the inside. And those are the best, in my opinion. I, I love the single cast ones. Um, so... Let's, let's give a couple examples. So on, on Rogue Fitness, if you want competition kettlebells, those are going to be Aider kettlebells, where the, the handle is 35 millimeters, uh, which is, you know, pretty thin, you know, kind of like that. And, and then the, the window is kind of an oblong uh, rectangle with a little, I call them kind of like a lima bean, you know, because the, the, the round bell will, will poke into the window as well. But if you're getting an eight or kettlebell, it could be an eight kilogram or a 24 kilogram. The windows, the window will feel the same on your hand and the handle will feel the same. Uh, because when you're competing, you're moving from bell to bell over time. And when you're doing your warm up sets, you know, imagine warming up for a one RM deadlift and you got to use different barbells for every warm up set. That's, that would be so frustrating, you know? And it wouldn't, it wouldn't, your nervous system would have to respond to a different stimulus every time. So that's why in Gitavoy, the one mold for all weights. Uh, so Ader is one example. Perform Better is another company that makes a, a similar model to Ader. Ball bearing, uh, 33 millimeter handle, nice cozy window, feels great. Um, uh, Kettlebell Kings, on the other hand, it goes in a different direction where their handle is 35 millimeters, which makes a difference. You know, if it fatigues your grip a little bit more on snatches and long cycle, um, it's nice and comfy for jerks, in my opinion, because of the weight distribution. It's more in the hand and less on on the the chest, you know, which is kind of nice for jerks. And and then the kettlebell kings ones. This is the brand that I use uh, primarily and. Uh, I know, you know, I, I'm not sponsored by them or anything, but I, I, I've met the, the manufacturers, the guys who own the company. There's some real cool guys. They, they, you know, they hook us up with these offers. When, you know, when I win in a competition, they always give me some free stuff. Um, one of my students did some translation work for them with, uh, 
with China because their manufacturer is uh, is in China, and they so they they sent her some free bells. I think you know Kettlebell Kings is a great brand, and uh, the the best part is that their kettlebells are single cast, so there's no ball bearing that's gonna that's gonna you know fall out of its position and change the weight distribution of the bell. It's single cast. They're really impossible to break. Um, but, you know, within that line, they're all going to be the same mold. Boom. All 35 millimeter handle, nice, long, big rectangular window. Moving into hard style, it's going to vary by company and it's going to vary by weight. And it's really going to vary in quality. You don't want to, you know, I highly recommend everyone having a hard style kettlebell in their home for home workouts. If, if, if you're a guy, you know, one single 24 kilogram kettlebell in your house is becomes such a versatile tool when it's a snowstorm outside and you can't make it to the gym. You can get real creative. There's a million different exercises you can do and it doesn't take up any space. You can do it in the closet. The thing is, is if you don't get it from a reputable company with a single cast iron kettlebell, you, you don't know you don't know what you're going to get. You don't you don't want those ones that they sell at Kmart with the rubber handle and they're purple and pink and they're bouncy and and you know um, you want to if I may make a recommendation, you know, again, not sponsored by these people. Wish I was, that would be dope. Uh, Dragon Door. Dragon Door RKC kettlebells will last forever. Will last forever. Don't buy the cheaper ones. Don't even buy the ones from Rogue, honestly. You know, Rogue is a great company, and I buy stuff from them all the time. But the kettle, hard-style kettlebells got to be Dragon Door. It's single cast, um, and it's the best quality. That thing, you can drop it off of 30-story building, and <laughs> it, it'll just put a hole in the sidewalk, and you'll be able to walk up to it and use it. No problem. The... Like you mentioned, the annoying thing about hard-style kettlebells is that the window size between the, the handle and the bell, as well as the, um, the, the thickness of the handle and the shape of the handle will change as the kettlebells move up in weight. So usually, and, and you know, it's, it's annoying if you're changing kettlebells throughout your workout and doing the same exercises. But that's not how hard style works. That's how Gita Voice Sport works, you know, where you'll move from 24 kilo and then go right to 28 or something. And for your nervous system, it needs to feel the same. For hard style, it's not really like that. You know, for hard style in a workout, you'll use the 16 kettlebell for this exercise. And then you'll use the 32 kettlebell for this totally different movement altogether. So it doesn't really make that big of a deal. Um... It's just really, if you're trying to do getaway sport movements with hard style kettlebells, you're not going to have a good time. Uh, but you can use getaway sport kettlebells for hard style movements, no problem. Yeah, I did. Um, the closest thing I've done to kettlebell sport was I did like a five minute, uh, I think it was five, it may have been 10 um, minute uh, snatch thing. Um, I didn't follow the rules. I was switching hands as needed. Um, yeah. And I used a, a hard style um, kettlebell, and it, it wrecked my hand. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just. Oh, did yeah. you use chalk? Uh, no, I did not. No, it just. Uh, oh, well, there you go. Uh, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah. I do nothing about it. I saw. Actually, I think I saw yeah. Bud Jeffries had done it, and, uh, uh, and I thought, well, I'm going to try that. And um, yeah, yeah, it wasn't my uh, best idea, but I did it. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's what's interesting since you mentioned the five minute snatch test, the five minute snatch test is the performance test to get certified through strong first or RKC. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to complete a hundred snatches in five minutes, uh, with a 24 kilogram and you can switch as many times as you want to, uh, but the thing is, you know, with, uh, then that's with hard style technique. So you're going to be winded afterwards, but, um, a getaway sport person using getaway sport technique and getaway mentality, you know, I, I could, you know, walk out this door and pick up a 24 and, and bust a hundred just on my right hand. No problem. And not even be fully fatigued because of the different technique and because of the different 
breathing and mentality and, and way of doing it, you know? Um, but yeah, that, that snatch test is, uh, that's, that snatch test is humbling the first time. <laughs> yeah, I remember my snatch test. I remember it. It's all, yeah, it was, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was cool. Uh, <laughs> so if somebody wanted to get into, um, uh, kettlebell sport, um, mm-hmm. where do they go? Where do they look? Where do they find competitions? Where, where is this information? Okay. In the United States? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. In the United States, uh, for competitions, our biggest federation that holds comp, we have two major federations. So we have the AKA, the American or all American kettlebell Alliance, because they, they also do stuff in Latin America. Um, and then the other one, uh, USKL, United States Kettlebell Lifting. The reason we have two federations is, uh, like with many other countries with kettlebell sport, there's, uh, you know, you know, there's these people who are down with this crew of people, and then there's these people who are down with this crew, and the leaders might not see eye to eye. Uh, from from group to group it's the same way in chile there's a group of guys who i'm affiliated with and a group of guys who i'm not affiliated with right it's like that in china it's like that uh in a lot of places you know and one of the big reasons is because there's two major global federations one that's uh, a primarily russian federation the iukl and one that is more southern and western european the wksf um, but so what I recommend is if you're looking to get involved with a kettlebell competition, uh, the, the AKA and the USKL have their uh, yearly competition schedules posted on their websites. If you want to observe or even sign up for one and begin training, uh, anyone can do it. Anyone can do kettlebell sport. It's not hard to get started. It's hard to get really, really, really good at it because of all these different physical qualities that it demands but it's really easy to get started and it's really safe compared to many other sports you know you you can go freaking sprain your ankle running after somebody playing soccer or uh you know with kettlebell sport the worst thing that's going to happen is you know if you're totally inflexible and using something way too heavy and you're not listening to your coach and you should have a coach who knows what he's doing or she's doing if you're not listening to your coach and you're using something too heavy that you're not ready for sure maybe you'll like okay you might get some inflammation here you might get a little tendinosis in your knee or your hip flexor will like bug out or your spinal erector but you'll be right back at it in a few days you know the worst thing that can happen while you're lifting is that the kettlebell falls you know because that's that's how its structure is you know if you're holding it overhead and you can't stabilize it overhead it's going to fall before you, you tear your, you know, subscapularis tendon or whatever. You know what I mean? It's not going to, it's not going to get that far because that, that thing it's round and it's just going to, you're just going to lose your balance and it's going to fall before you can hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, worst thing there is it falls on your toe and then you're in trouble. <laughs> but I think it's really safe. Anyone can start. Anyone can learn. It's a lot of fun in that first learning process, man. My mentor, uh, Juan Pellet, got me prepared for my first competition in only eight weeks. And I took first place and I, I crushed it at my first competition. You know, anyone can do it if you have a little bit of patience and you're and you have the curiosity, you know. Uh, so, you know, the competition schedules are on those websites, the AKA website and the USKL website before beginning a competition. You, you need a coach. Everybody needs a coach. Every, you know, the we used to say that in personal training too. Like everybody has it. Everyone needs a trainer. You know, everyone needs a coach. Uh, I have a coach. His name is Igor Morozov. He lives uh, over in Russia in Rostov, and we do online program design together. So he sends me the spreadsheets. I send him the results. He sends me the next spreadsheet. I take videos. We talk every day or every other day, and we we get it done that way. Um, and I do the same thing. I, uh, you know, I'm not very aggressive with my marketing in the United States, 
but I have a team of athletes in China that I coach that they're, they're preparing for a competition in just a couple of weeks. And, uh, and I have a couple of students that I've trained, uh, here in the United States remotely and, uh, and in person, in person is always better, but you know, there's a lot of distance between us within the kettlebell sport community. And so a lot of us do remote training, which is effective. I've been working with my coach for four years now, and I've only met him in person once. And he has remotely trained me, and I've gotten crazy results from his periodization. And I love doing the same thing for my students. So if anyone wants to learn more, there I invite anyone to DM me on Instagram. I answer everybody, you know, uh, kettlebell sport questions. And I, I train people for a whole month for free before charging them anything because I, I, I want people to see that the periodization works before they commit. You know what I mean? I want to, I want to bring people in, even if they don't end up buying training, you know, this is a small sport and we all just want to grow it. So you can contact me for training within the United States. A couple other, you know, really good coaches are, uh, Aaron Vivial in, in Austin, Texas. And, uh, and, uh, Brittany, uh, uh how do you pronounce her? Like Shraven Dyke. She has one of those, uh, like Scandinavian last names. It's really hard with the J's and stuff. I never know how to pronounce them, but, uh, her Instagram is KB, sorry, KB fit Brit. That's her brand. And she also has a dope blog. Uh, she's a great, great coach movement in general, just a general movement coach. Aaron Vivial is probably the most prominent, uh, kettlebell sport coach in the United States. I forget. He's always changing his Instagram name, man. I, I, I have no idea what his Instagram name is, but Aaron Vivial, uh, look him up. He's great if you're interested in sport. And also in the United States, as of just a couple of years ago, we have the uh, you know pound for pound best long cycle athlete in the world, uh, Denis Vasiliev, and he is living in. Northern California, Oakland, San Francisco. One of, he's in he's he's in the Bay Area. Uh, he's an amazing athlete. He's a great guy. Every time I've met him, he's he's given he's graciously given me advice. He's not aloof. He's he's real cool, and he's also a you know a dope coach that I recommend. Uh, so you know, obviously, I love getting new students. You know, uh, Brittany's dope. Aaron is dope, and, and Dennis is, is, is awesome, you know? Uh, I, I know I'm forgetting. Oh, um, one, another one of my colleagues, uh, Moses, I don't know if it's Dunka or, or Dunsa. I apologize, Moses, if you hear this. But <laughs> Moses is out of, um, I forget what city he's in, too. Damn. I, he's, he's somewhere on the west, in, in the west of the country as well. And he, he is, he's got a great initiative going with, uh, with kids in kettlebell sport. I really like what he's doing over there. He's got a lot of kids involved. Um, you know, it's a sport that's, it's a sport that's safe for kids as well. You know, you can scale these things down all the, to the four kilos. Like, you know, it's totally safe for them. I personally, you know, I think kids should run around and, and play as much as they can and climb and, and jump and do the playground stuff primarily rather than working with, with actual weights as much as possible. But uh, if they think kettlebells are fun, it's, it's not going to kill them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Very cool. So how yeah. do people get a hold of you? Um, what's your, um, I think uh, your Instagram's Carter B. Is that right? Yeah. So it's my first name, Carter, the letter B for my last name, Barry. So Carter B training. Boom. People can DM me right there. I'm always checking my Instagram DMs and that's the primary uh, medium that I use when, when I'm communicating with, you know, prospective new students. <clears throat> Very cool. Well, hopefully uh, some people will get a hold of you and uh, take advantage of that yeah. and see how things are going. Um, yeah, uh, do you any before we uh, we're almost out of time before we uh, go, do you have any advice um 
for for people that just want to get into kettlebells and 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 do all that? Uh, into hard style or Gudevoy or uh just, or in general? In general, yeah, just just some general advice. I would okay. The the biggest piece of advice that I could give to somebody is if you're using the kettlebell as a tool, don't just pick it up and start using it. You know what I mean? It's really easy to get frustrated because it doesn't make sense the first time you touch it. It doesn't make sense the first time someone teaches you it, you know? My biggest piece of advice would be to locate a qualified practitioner to instruct you. It could be a personal trainer who's certified uh, or an athlete who's really, really well-versed. But find a trainer who you connect with, a trainer who listens to you and doesn't just try to pigeon you, pigeonhole you into, into what they think the best program is, and a trainer who's willing to select the movements that are appropriate for your level and still goad you on to push to that next level work you to a decent intensity that doesn't that that is not unsafe and and someone who who who, who's open-minded and keeps you engaged but everybody needs a coach no matter what at least to start at least to start with kettlebells very cool i think that's solid advice i think that's um pretty solid advice with most physical activity so uh, yeah yeah for sure and and uh again carter's available for training um at his instagram um, I'll try to put that link up when this goes live. Um, mm-hmm. That'll be in a few weeks um, when the next season kicks off. So um, I want to thank you very much for joining us. Um, it's been mm-hmm. a pleasure. We'll definitely get you back on here. Um, maybe, uh, maybe after we run into each other at the, uh, the Arnold um, and, and we can get back on here and uh, see what's going on. Uh, yeah. Awesome. I, you know, I really appreciate you inviting me on and, you know, I, I'm a big nerd. I love talking about this stuff. You know, this is this is a lot of fun. Yeah, very cool. We'll definitely do it again. Uh, this has been John the Viking Mauser with Carter Berry. Get strong or die. This episode is brought to you by Mauser Strength Dynamics one-on-one online coaching. So if you are looking for a satisfaction guarantee and you want to win competitions or maybe you're constantly suffering from injuries and you don't know where to turn or maybe you're just looking for some one-on-one support from a world-class strength coach, then Mauser Strength Dynamics is the coaching for you. So if you want more information, then find John at John the Viking Mauser on Facebook or at Mauser Strength on Instagram.